Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Bud Light. Bud Light is all about bringing friends together, and we're wondering which unlikely pairs will team up this season. Seeing so many old friends and new come together, for example, in the past episode of Game of Thrones, well, there was a, quite a few unions, I have to say. It turned into quite a uh, sexually charged Winterfell, but obviously the one that everybody is talking about is Brienne and Jamie. So shout out to those two crazy kids. I hope they can make it work down the line. Bud Light is reminding you to enjoy responsibly 21 and up. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Just Crack an Egg. You want to talk about great production value? How about a legit, hot, fluffy breakfast scramble that's packed with all your favorite ingredients? It's called Just Crack an Egg. And all you have to do is add a fresh egg over their hearty ingredients, then stir, microwave, and enjoy any day of the week. It takes less than two minutes to make Just Crack an Egg. Find all seven varieties of Just Crack an Egg in the egg aisle. I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRigger.com and joining me in the studio, he just got back from the funeral pyre and man are his clothes smoky. It's Andy Greenwald! Of all the things I got from last night's episode, yeah. thrilling, well, yeah. kind of bifurcated episode. The Game episode of, of Game of Thrones that we are going to be talking about during The Watch podcast with Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan. Yeah, that about covers it. Listen, <laughs> I did not expect a stirring tribute to the outdoor open flame cookery of Francis Mallman. <laughs> the Franklin barbecue of Game of Thrones. I mean, those who have that watched... That guy just loves to throw meat in the dirt, right? Francis Isn't that Mallman? his whole thing? Yeah, he, he like buries stuff in the dirt. He sets up... I saw a Bourdain with him. Yeah, yeah, Bourdain was with him. There's a chef's table with him. Basically, his whole style mm. is kind of like what Melisandre used to have running on the beaches of Dragonstone. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you remember that? Like, in those yeah. early seasons when you just have some like, like real open air... Back to nature cookery sure. of people in that case. <laughs> Primitive. What a ride. Yeah. Okay, so last week, I think that we were firmly kind of like, that was good, you know? Yes. And, that, and that the critiques of it, while while understandable, in the end of the day was like, I, we, we felt like the the achievements of the episode really overlapped that. They, they, really, like, they really shone through. Last night's episode was really interesting because I I realized a couple of things. One is like, I'm never bored watching this show. Mm -hmm. And I'm always entertained by it. I always find it thought-provoking. I always find, generally, I like the acting across the board. I like the writing across the board. I like the direction across the board. There was so much good stuff last night. Like, the candlelight flickering in Danny's eyes every Mm -hmm. time she would sort of start to lose it a little bit. And like, the allusions to her being the dragon queen, the Mm -hmm. the mad queen. Let me put it this way. I love nachos. You know, I love to eat nachos. Do you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, like, I love a good plate of nachos. It's oh, like this, when you this, have like, this is a bit. I've never seen it's you not eat a nachos. Bit, but it's it's true. You eat one and you're like, it's pretty good. Yeah. Then there's like a bite about a third in. Yeah. Where you're like, why does anyone eat anything else but this? You get the soggy chip. No, because it's so good. You have oh. like that first combo chip. Oh, and you get the like, perfect bite. Yeah. Oh, I was jumping the gun. Yeah. You and get that, all the pieces that make it good. And together. that is essentially like when Jamie comes up to Brienne's room and you're like, God damn it. I've spent so long with these characters. Like these two kids, man. I actually thought I was going to come in here to a room hostile to that plot development because there's well, only OTP for you. No, I I just want the best for these people at this point. Okay. Then there is the bite where you're like, huh, I just ate a full congealed scallion, mm. <laughs> you know? And it wasn't great. And then you get to the end and you're like, I feel, I feel like I made some mistakes. Mm-hmm. And 
That's kind of like the arc of last night's episode for me. Oh. I didn't make any mistakes. I mean, it's like, I just think that we, uh, we are just witnessing something that we probably never witness again, not only in its achievements, but also in the flaws that are baked into trying to end something like this. And we talked yeah. about this last week and we talked about this week, but you know, I really, really was excited to talk with you specifically about this, not only because you're my best friend and we've talked me? about Game of Thrones for like almost a decade. Do you have someone he, scheduled after no, me? No, because I think that I want to talk to you a little bit about a lot about the writing today Great. and and how you write for characters. I, I'm ready to to try and weigh in on that. I'm glad you started this way with a really a hunger pang inducing nacho analogy <laughs> because I want to begin by clarifying something from last week, which is to say we were all in on that episode. Yeah, I remain absolutely. all in on that episode. What I didn't want my positivity about that episode to imply, though, was that I was completely giving a blank pass, just giving a blanket pass to all the decisions that led us to that point. Uh huh. So much of of TV writing, especially serialized over this many seasons, is you make do, you do the best you can with what you've got. Now, what you've got is a byproduct of some planning, yes, and certainly in this case, some things that were borrowed or inspired by or, or literally told to them by George R. R. Martin. Right. But the rest of it is maybe you made a slight character miscalculation in season four and you just got to pick up the pieces in real time. There was an analogy that we used to joke around about a lot on the podcast when we were talking about TV writing years ago about like doing pit crew on a car while also driving the Indy 500 at the same time. I actually just made that same analogy about Kawhi Leonard the other day. Did you? Yeah. The sports car analogy? Yeah. Because he was busy doing donuts on our front <laughs> lawn last night in <laughs> Philadelphia. Um, so. Anyway, just to say that I maybe have a, um, maybe more than others, like I, I give people the benefit of the doubt for doing a good job playing a bad hand. Mm -hmm. Last week wasn't all bad hand, but there were some cards that maybe we had some questions about. So last night was sort of similar. You're at this point in the final season. It's the final season. There's no more road in front of you. Yeah. And there are, there's a checklist of things you you feel, and I keep saying you, this is the plural, the eustetes, if you will, of <laughs> David Benioff and Dan Weiss, of sure. that they feel that they need to do to get to get the story where they want to end it. They also have to do this hard pivot from <laughs> the incredible slaughter and existential threat of last week's battle right. to the last war, as Daenerys puts it. Uh, and we, you know, it's an interesting feeling going into last night's episode because, well, we know Cersei is lurking and we know certain things— we know things are going to come together. The characters are going to reshuffle and come together again in a different place. We actually don't, we didn't know, or I didn't feel comfortable predicting how that was going to play out. I certainly didn't think that that Regal or Regal or whatever, the Regal cinema chain dragon was going to get a <laughs> spike through its throat. But, yeah, movie pass you know, right to the throat. That was cool. So all that is to say, I maybe had a reverse nacho reaction to you last night in that I think it was more than appropriate that we have a little little funeral pyre burning, that we have some celebrations, some, a lot of hugs, yeah. some hooking up. Yeah. It was basically an episode of, it's like, it was dazed and confused in Winterfell. It, and, and, and then a hard pivot to the show that I think the show is more comfortable being, which is splitting people up in interesting ways, a lot of conflict, intramural conflict, if you will, uh -huh. and then big set pieces or surprises or deaths, things like that. I Wait, thought the show was more comfortable being that version. I think of the you're show. right. I also think that that is a f a real hallmark of late period Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. and that is uh, one of the things that I think a lot of people have been very vocal about, and is the, the the way in which this show no longer shows its work, and how showing its work 
was actually what made it different than almost any other television show. What do you mean show. by show work? I think I agree so, with you. Um, there was an interesting quote, Joanna Robinson, who obviously is one of the best writers out there about Game of Thrones and, and writes at Vanity Fair, did an interview with Nikolai Koster-Waldau, who, who plays Jamie, And uh, the, they, she talked to them about not only the sex scene, but also the, the departure afterwards. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's what she wrote. But if Jamie's decision to have sex with Brienne and then leave her feels like such a swift reversal, your head is still spinning, Koster-Waldau is sympathetic. We are, quote, we are used to having a whole season mm-hmm. to get to a point. Now, suddenly, a lot of things happen very quickly. The actor says he has to fill a lot of the details in himself. Trying to connect the dots between the scenes was a little complicated because you invest so much time, so many years in these characters. This is Nikolai. So when you suddenly find out that Jamie comes back and his son has committed suicide, as he did several seasons ago, like yeah. two seasons ago, or whatever, a season ago, there's so many things that obviously you can't go through on screen all of these moments, but you have to still walk through them in your mind. If you're an actor, at least talk about them. And there was a lot of those connecting the dots going on throughout. Right. So this is a show that once infamously or famously showed painstakingly Catelyn Stark negotiating the crossing of a bridge mm-hmm. over, I think, several episodes and eventually promising Rob's hand in marriage so that the phrase of the just so that they could cross a bridge. Yep. And now they're like, yeah, overnight this guy stared at a fire, decided he was gonna leave the person he had just slept with to go back, and it's ambiguous as to why he's going back. All the stuff that was like, here's the work that goes it, into it, doing it's it. It's not just that. It's saying, here are the show's main characters, they love each other now. What? Okay. Yeah. They I mean, it's shorthand. And yeah. it's interesting. I think you're totally right. All the things that we praise the show for being and all the things that I believe the book fans praise the show for being, which is implicitly not the movie version of Game of Thrones, yeah. which it was in development for being, which sure. is to say where they're not going to cram this stuff into two hours or two and a half hours. Um, it's very pinched at the end where all of a sudden they are cramming all these things. You know, if, if they were going to continue the same pace of storytelling they, were, they started with, season 15 would be in play. Yeah. I don't know if that's good or bad, um, but I think that's certainly the case. And then you get to an argument where the things that they do show, do decide to show, I think for the most part, they're, they're, they're efficient, they're smart, they're economical when they need to be. But as much as it was enjoyable to see Tormund be sloppy drunk, there was a level of post-game commentary that I kind of missed, which I think would have been implicit to the show that I was excited about watching in the first few seasons, which is holy fuck, there's a zombie army of the dead? <laughs> That's You were serious about that? Yeah. Like, the thing that I loved and continue to love, and there was a passing reference to it last night when they spoke about the millions of people who live in this world who are not characters, who are just pawns in this larger argument. Yes. That in the beginning years of this show, magic was not real. Dragons were not real. People scoffed if you talked about what was going on beyond the wall or what might come down to them. Right. Um, basically, yeah. Some of that you can yada yada with a shot of the dragons flying over Winterfell and people freaking out. But at a certain point, I understand why there just simply isn't the real estate for any living bearded person in Winterfell to turn to the other person and be like, yo, that was crazy. I know. Is that going to happen again? What does that mean? Yeah. Because that's not the show. That's not there what the show is There hasn't been anymore. any, yeah. And that's the that's the thing is it's like, you know, at the end when they're like, Tormund's going to go back north, there's no even conversation about it. So are we going to rebuild the wall? Is there anyone up there? Is there anybody up there? I, there are apparently there, there are Dothraki left. I didn't I, know that. Yeah. Uh, we were actually talking about this before the episode last night. Is I was like, 
I, I really do think that, crazily enough, there's like a James Andrew Miller-style book to be written about this show now. In the world of the show? Or no, about, about the, sh- the making, making of, the, of show. the show. Oh, yeah. Because... Like an oral history about... Yeah, it's just... The fact that Cersei isn't in two and three, and I don't even think... I can't think of a reason why the why the North would be in five. And so they're they're essentially, rather than having... This is what I wanted to talk to you about. Okay. What does an actor usually ask when they're in a scene? What does my character want? Right. Right? Like you say, when is lunch? (laughs) But after that. Can you call my agent? Yeah. Yeah. They want to know what they want. They want to know what the objective is of this scene for their character. Mm -hmm. And I would argue in writing a scene, you need to know what the character wants. There's too many scenes where I can't answer that Hmm. in Game of Thrones. I don't know really what certain, like Sansa, I don't know what she's doing other than offering resistance to yes. a plot point. I don't know what she's doing either. Yeah. I and don't, and, so and much maybe, so that I don't think she needs to be in the next episode, yet she is a crucial character to this show. You know what I mean? But this is the thing that happens when you run out of space and you run out of a guardrail. So right? that's why I want the James Andrew Miller book is because why? why? Well, <laughs> well I, I think that there's certain characters who are important. They're char- in a novel and certainly in a seven, eight book series, Characters can be crucially important and beloved and have full, rich, fictional lives, Mm -hmm. but not, quote-unquote, figure into the endgame. Sure. Right? They don't have to be absolutely central to the plot. You know, there's a reason why when we talk about The Great Gatsby, you and I always talk about, we never talk about The Great Gatsby, (laughs) but like, like, you know, old owl eyes or something. Like, there are these weird characters on the margins that matter to us. we've been reading Larry McMurtry novels. We know all about characters on the margins. Great call. (laughs) Yeah. So... Sansa is important because of time invested in her, because of the strength of the performance, because we know that one of the things the show taught us, for those of us who hadn't read the books, is that the Starks are important, that the North is important. Tyrion voiced some of that, that if Jon's not here, you are the most important person north of wherever. Mm-hmm. But how does she figure into any of this? They can't all kill Cersei. Right. They can't all win. And what does winning even mean at this point? What does she want other than maybe to have her now not at all brother become king? And, and then what's she going to do? There, there simply aren't enough strands left, I think, I'm worried, for her to have a— what, what would be a satisfying conclusion to her? It's not even like I'm trying to revert to a traditional storytelling model where there's a secret Prince Charming who survived the Umber Massacre or whatever to marry her. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking for that. But does she have a friend? Like, what is she going to do up there in her castle? Console Brienne. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I completely agree with you about beloved characters that are sort of on the periphery and them, and they don't necessarily have to do with the end game of the mm. show, but still have a role to play. What I don't care for is a character that I love, man. Like, mm-hmm. you and I have had some really good times with Bronn. Bronn's great. Why do we get a full bronze scene and yet they cut away from the moment Bran is presumably telling Arya, Sansa, and John about John's secret. Why not show us how Sansa and Arya separately reacted to that well, I think information? We, I, think we, I think two reasons. One, the charitable, more charitable version is we know how they would react to it. I think they would be horrified or shocked and Sansa, Sansa would be, you know, both upset, but then also see the advantage. And then, by the way, snitches get, clearly don't get stitches in this world. Oh, my God. Um, Loose lips. I mean. Sink. I thought. Sink dandy ships. I, I thought for, for real, <laughs> yeah. though. I thought swearing oaths meant something in these seven <laughs> kingdoms. Wow. Um, 
so it's either that or the less charitable version is their reaction would tip what they're going to do next and it's more important to keep some mystery alive. I'm not even sure what that answer would be because we did see what their next moves were. So again, I think it's just a question of priorities. The Braun thing is satisfying, I guess, in that Jerome Flynn is like one of my favorite actors on the show. Top five, I just think. Every time he's on screen, he, he just brightens the show, brightens my mood. I love it. I love the history with those two brothers. But I don't, I, I I don't quite get. You what never we're thought he was to. actually going to kill Tyrion. Well, that was a th- there was a thought that he's going to kill them, and Brienne would sacrifice herself. I mean, right. there was like a lot of like speculation about like Chekhov's crossbow, and he's going up there, and so it has to mean something. But it turns out it didn't mean anything. It I, turns out all you had to do was say, "Well, we'll just give you Highgarden," and he's like, "Okay, I'm off the show now." Well, okay, so let's since we're 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 talking in the more critical mode. I mean, I have some I have questions for you as well. But I'll phrase them in. An, I'll phrase my question for you in the form of an opinion by me. <laughs> so podcasting <laughs> for real. I don't think we needed the Brienne and Jamie sex scenes. Sure, I Un- didn't need that extra beer, but it felt good going down. The undoing <laughs> of the shirts was was pretty good. Yeah, it caused my wife, who was watching some of it, to oh, comment sure. on why they all wore difficult clothing. And I was like, well, he lost his hand. As opposed to like a... And she's like, what do you mean he lost his hand? And I was like, well, he's a gold hand. And she says, why would it be gold? And then we went from there. Actually, the the biggest thing that we both... she turned to you and say, are you enjoying this? The biggest... She did ask me afterwards. The biggest thing that we both... Conclusion we came to together is that for all the loyal friends we lost at the Battle of Winterfell, at least we can all take solace in the fact that the royal hair braiders survived oh yeah well missy it was miss andy yeah well, well sansa's got some deep plates going on up there too she did yeah i mean that is that would take hours every day yeah do you know how much conquering you could get done if you just threw it in a ponytail why do you think she's always like wait let's postpone <laughs> good call because <laughs> she has to get her, her french um, braid going i i guess i'm just not sure because there's an element of it that's fan service. There's an element of it that is exciting and rewarding for longtime viewers, certainly. But then, to circle back to your point, when you have to then immediately rush on to the next story, mm-hmm. was it worth doing that? As opposed to having him knight her and we understand their love for each other more in that moment. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it certainly was like in the moment, I was like, this is amazing. Is Jamie just going to live out his days like hanging out with Brienne in Winterfell and he's not going to be in the end of this show. And I guess the question you have to ask is, aside from whether or not it was true or not to the moment, and it did seem true within the context of like everybody's drinking, so yeah. it's fun. Look, we've all been to cast But parties. then they immediately shacked up and he was like, no, I'm staying in Winterfell. Yeah. If he had just said the next day, well, like I'm a soldier and I have to finish this and bring some dignity back to my house or whatever, I think that that would have made some sense. But... The moment of her saying, like, you should just stay here with me, you're a good man, did parallel nicely with Danny begging John, saying, like, I never beg, but I'm begging you to keep this a secret. Like, I'm, the, I'm asking you, sexy aunt to willing nephew. Well, she's basically saying, like, if you tell people, we'll never be able to be together the way we want to be together. And Brienne's essentially like, we can pretend like the rest of the world doesn't matter, just right. the two of us. I like those moments yeah. of two people who are essentially being torn apart by the writing of history. I like that. 
it it just felt like almost unnecessarily cruel. And and I think you could make the argument that the Miss Andy moment felt unnecessarily yes. cruel. I, I think so. This also speaks to I wanted I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about some Sansa things, and I, and I can connect this. I think to your desire to talk more about the writing of the show. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of Twitter criticism at certain aspects of the show, particularly the way the female characters were written. I mean, that's been a constant mm-hmm. the way they were written last night. And I and I have to say that I strongly agree with a lot of it. And just to say this, I'm not saying that. David Benioff and Dan Weiss cannot write female characters. They've written tremendous female characters. What I'm saying is it's curious that eight years into it, there, were, there was only one woman ever on the writing staff. And again, that even that puts too much pressure on one woman speaking for women in the room. I'm just saying, and this is my own lived experience now making the show, like the writing is better if you have multiple perspectives and multiple points of view and voices coming at you to question what you're doing. Yeah. Just to ask the question. You can... Your argument, your story, your character will be better if you can defend it against questions. Mm-hmm. And I have to think that having Arya sort of reject this clumsy proposal and having Brienne weep over Jamie leaving. And the biggest example from last night was Sansa being like, I'm grateful for being brutalized because it, it made me who I am today. It, it get, let me shed the little bird persona. It's... It felt the, like a clapback at like I, I did feel like that was like Benioff and Weiss being like, "We stand by it." In a, I, I, I don't I don't mean to like put words in their mouth, and I'm not, not no. even, I'm not even like hammering them for it. It just felt like it was another scene where I was like, "What's the point of this scene?" You can defend those choices, and maybe they will, and maybe they would. I mean, they don't really do non EW interviews anymore, but maybe they would if they if asked about it. It just felt to me that it hadn't been probed and poked at and questioned. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that this idea of a character being grateful for her treatment was just odd. And it felt very reductive and simplistic and unnecessary. And, and I'm not sitting here arguing that we need to watch the show through contemporary eyes of morality or of, and not, well, first of all, we can only watch the show through our own contemporary eyes. Actually, that's probably the better way to phrase it. I don't, you know, necessarily bump on the fact that in the beginning when John is talking about all the dead people, he's like, they sacrificed this for the, so the world of men. I, I don't think that it would have been accurate for him to expand his purview of whose <laughs> world he was representing in that moment. Yeah. But it just felt a little bit rushed, a little bit, and a little bit ill-considered, a lot of those choices, and, and reductive. And maybe that's a question of time also. And similarly, with the Miss Ende storyline, I mean, they did get to go sailing on their boat called Live Forever. So the McBain stuff was accurate. <laughs> you know, there are people saying, you know, this is just, it's it's sort of gruesome and thoughtless treatment of the show's only prominent uh, sure. woman of color. Now, I feel like the answer to that is just twofold, which is maybe it's consistent with the way the show treats people as props and as pawns, and that that all makes sense. The bigger problem is that this was the show's only significant woman of color. Yeah. And so she so she represents m- far more than uh, Miss Ende of where's she from? North Quarth. North. I didn't have a problem with her dying. Like that. That just happens almost in every other episode of the yeah. show. People die. Um, I thought it was kind of silly that they strung this along of like six. Like when we're when we get through this, we're going to retire together, yeah. and then he lives like in the one in a 10,000 chance that he lives, he gets through that, that thing. They get on a boat inexplicably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then hold hands. They're happily on the boat. 
And then we don't even see what happens to her. Like, it's just the mast fall. It's a, it's a Tyrion POV moment. The mast falls on him. Yeah. He somehow still lives. Swims. Gets to, a, to, to a, shore. a lovely beach. We don't see Euron move an entire fleet or whatever over to where they were to pick up survivors, find the one person that he needs to grab, yeah. grabs her, and brings her all the way back to King's Landing. And then Tyrion's appeal to his sister is the, he, he, he does what I like to call the Twitter bio appeal, which is, you're a wife, you're a mother, first and foremost. <laughs> Coffee addict. <laughs> Coffee addict, yeah. <laughs> U of M alum. The, the, <laughs> again, it's just... Yeah, it didn't work the first time. She it, it, straight it, up betrayed you when you were like, you have a kid, you're going to want to stop the uh, the zombie apocalypse. And, and she was like, sure, you're right, totally. And then she was like, nope, I'm it, actually going to just spend this time building dragon crossbows. I have one more. Dr. Dumb shit, don't <laughs> ask again. And don't walk into a field of archers. Uh, I mean, I, 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 look, she could have just let loose the arrows right then. I don't know why that, we're suddenly I, following. I was like, do it. Yeah. Do it. I was like, do it. Why are we doing the Marquise of Queensbury rules now? <laughs> yeah. You blew up a church with a thousand people in it. Yeah. Now we're suddenly standing on ceremony? But that ceremony we do, but the whole my brother tells me to keep a secret, we don't do. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I do. Dope. He was like, S- no, swear it. I, no, pinky, double pinky, swear it. Like, Sansa. what was the consequences I, of the swear? Just show me. I, I want to... If you tell, I will have to kill you, I will have to disown you, I will not support you. Like, what was... Like, that's just weird. They never used to do this. I, I would like to pivot to the things that I did like, but since we're on this run, the show has a John and Daenerys problem. It is. Uh, you know, I think... Alan do you think Sepinall it's a John and Daenerys well problem this. because they're... What's the problem? Um, the problem is twofold. One... Well, there's threefold. One, protagonists in fantasy stories are often the least interesting people. And that's where we are with them. I'm far more interested in Varys or Davos or Bronn at this point than I am the two nominal leads of the show. Mm -hmm. Two, they have little to no chemistry and I don't believe they love each other. It's just sort of we're told they love each other because it would be inevitable that the most important people who can also ride dragons would love each other. Mm -hmm. So I don't find their love and his fealty to her because he loves her compelling dramatically. Um, the third problem, and this is probably the biggest problem heading into the endgame, is that this pivot that suddenly Daenerys is worrisome, is not worthy of all the attention when John is right there, feels very strange and tacked on. I don't believe she's acted particularly rashly. I mean, last night didn't go great. She's definitely reckless with the dragons. She is about to blow a 3-1 lead or a 3 nothing lead in the, in the finals. Right. But the argument, and, and I think I would direct people to what Alan Sepinwall wrote in Rolling Stone about this, but the Varys-Tyrion scene, which in many ways is the heart of what many people always loved about Game of Thrones, the people, the, the truly smart people with the largest, widest perspective who are adjacent to power, talking about how power works, and, you know, thinking of the figureheads as, as that. As mm-hmm. figureheads to be molded and shaped or or betrayed as the case may be. What they were really talking about doesn't didn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't know what John has done that makes him a better ruler, other than the fact that he's kind of 
our traditional hero on a story in a story like this? I mean, they go through the whole. I mean, obviously, Varys is like, frankly, like people will respond to him because he's a man, and the Lords of he, Westeros are going to. He's honest about that. Yeah, I get that. I get that she's tempted now, and he's because and she's, they're like, maybe he's the right person because he doesn't want to be king, right? And I get that she's now tempted to follow in the mistaken footsteps of her ancestors because she's been provoked now to the point of. I don't want to say madness because I don't buy it, but she's isolated. Jorah's gone, Missandei's gone. Right. All she has is this person who she hates with people who, frankly, she doesn't know, right? And doesn't feel any allegiance to. I get that that's where we're headed, and maybe they'll surprise us. Maybe neither of those people will be king at the end. But it's a little confusing, mm-hmm. I would say. Do okay. you have Do you have a horse in this race of who wins? Well, I know the show has historically not made sense in terms of not in terms of. Uh, um, know, logic, but I mean in terms of justice doesn't prevail always. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I personally, I, I do not think justice should prevail in this right. in this situation. I think it depends on what part of her spiel you want to believe in. If she's there to break the wheel, yeah, there just shouldn't be a throne, right? Like I'm, I, I often I'm just kind of like, why does it have to be the country have to be ruled from King's Landing? Seriously, you know, like why is that the seat of power? Why is this obsession with the capital? I get it, but it's California like, secession 2020, baby. Yeah, that's right. Let's just live in our version of Dorn. Um, so we've expressed our, I think our misgivings or whatever. We've talked a little bit about I, critically I, about I, it. You want to? I want to talk about what I liked about me it. Me too. too. I just want to say that you you mentioned the piece that I wanted to say most about Daenerys, which is the most compelling aspect of her claim was wanting to break the wheel, mm-hmm. and now it just seems she's about to get rolled by it, which is an interesting and worthwhile turn of the story. I mean, I have no idea because on one hand you know, her superiority keeps getting chipped away at. She's lost two quote-unquote children in in the process of this thing. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, they've just made some huge advantages in Scorpion technology, I guess, because like, I was just kind of like, can you fly around the other side there? I mean, and it's the thing is, I don't like being in the position to armchair quarterback dragons. You know what I mean? Like, I I just want to watch interesting people talk some shit out. Like, Mm -hmm. that is ultimately why I'm watching any television show. You want them to be podcasts. (laughs) I get it. Hi, I'm Sarah Koenig, and that's my dragon. I'm, I'm loving this. Keep going. <laughs> um, where, where was I? Serial. You, you, you were armchair quarterbacking. <laughs> yeah, I don't like being, this is not like how I want no. to spend my time being like, how did Euron get so good at shooting crossbows? Crossbow technology really did take but a But there's radic- a way to do that forward. where I'm like, man, that guy got really good at shooting crossbows. Also, Just shoot, instead of showing Tormund drink 10 times, yeah. or having Varys and Tyrion have the same conversation three times in 45 minutes, cut back to King's Landing and be like, we're preparing. What? This is how we know she's going to be in Dragonstone on this day. Like what? a bird told it. They're always doing ravens and spies on the show. Why is it all of a sudden now it's just like, dang, we were there. How about that? What a lucky coincidence what, what, one that we thing? had our scorpion crossbows ready when the dragons were coming. One other thing. Yeah. It feels a little imbalanced to me that you could be in the north and notice a wheelchair which is, is what it says, a chair with wheels, and be uh, like, wow, that's some pretty nifty tech. And he's like, yeah, it's uh, 250 years old. I uh, retrofitted it, and uh, now I roll around on it. Yeah. And then meanwhile, a couple hundred miles to the south, they can shoot dragons out of the sky with rapid artillery fire crossbows. Yeah. I mean, you can't predict how or things are going to Or nobody was like, hey, you remember when we, uh, when we lit all that gold on fire? Yeah. What if they built some more of those? Should it's, we prep for that? I'm just saying, wheelchair tech isn't as impressive as you think it is when you can do that. Yeah. 
that quickly. Um, so here's something I liked. I thought John dispatched with his pet dog appropriately. Uh, go, go in, King. I am glad. <laughs> I miss you guys so much on Sundays. I think I miss Mal the whole crew. just unsubscribed to yeah. this podcast. I, I'm glad. I miss you guys so much, but I guess on some level, I'm glad that I wasn't there. So did, that, you, did you see your, Mal's speech about this? Yeah, so I would end my friendship with Mallory like live on Twitter. You're doing it right now. I love Mallory, but he, he, here's my genuine, I'm not trying to troll people who love their pets. What I will say is they were not a part of the show. It wasn't a part of the show. So I do think that people's upset and anger over this has more to do with the fact that we didn't constantly have uh, a touching, you know, a dog's journey subplot. Are you going to see dog's journey? Yo, I saw an ad for that movie yesterday. <laughs> Dennis Quaid, so, first of has all, a dog. Can I just tell you when you get yeah. the forty-five minutes yeah. that you, you crave to watch American television, finally, and you're watching like the ABC network and watching basketball. I'm like people in Winterfell seeing a wheelchair for the and first time. And then you time. jump on the group text. You're like Yakov Smirnoff. Yeah. You're like, what is this dog's journey? I will see it. <laughs> There's a movie about dog reincarnation. That's that's what's up. Yeah. And the dog's like, hey, Dennis Quaid. Sorry I died. It's me again. Like, that's the movie? Anyway, I'm just saying that it, it just feels to me that it's become the, the representative of people's uh, sadness that the ghost John relationship wasn't a major part of the show, A, and B, the fact that ultimately they don't seem that engaged by engaged with or interested in the fantasy elements of the show. Mm-hmm. Literally saying to the now one-eared wolf dog, you don't belong down there. The dog's like, oh, I guess I don't. <laughs> I mean, I, I get if it. If I was that, if I was ghost, I'd be like, word. Yeah. Let me be free. But don't you think Ghost spent all of last episode trying to prove he was a very good boy to John. Like, he dove into the army of the dead. He was rolling with the Dothraki. He had a very small chance of survival, and he got through it with just one less ear. One less ear. And then was just, his reward is to go to the frozen north How amazing would it have been if, like, they had cut, like, John had been like, goodbye, Ghost, and he was just like, he pulled one AirPod out and was just like, what? What's up? (laughs) Just the one AirPod? I'm listening to Serial. This shit is amazing. (laughs) I hope Adnan gets a new trial. It's, it, it's, have you guys listened to two? <laughs> that's pretty good as well. It's an indictment of the justice system. Is that true? No, it's the Bo, Bo, what's his face? Oh. Yeah. Right. I haven't listened to Serial. <laughs> but this movie about dogs coming back to life. Hello. What did you like about this episode aside from, um, it's poor treatment of animals. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, uh, strong episode for Tyrion. Mm-hmm. Allison wrote about this. I really, really, really enjoyed Tyrion in the episode. I loved Peter Dinklage's performance in the episode. In in the same podcast where I'm saying that the lead performances, I'm not saying Kit Harington and and, um, Amelia Clark aren't good. I'm saying that those characters are weighed down by what they have to be and the burden that they carry. It was a reminder that the, basically the star of the show, I mean, the top billed actor on the show can carry, essentially carry an entire episode, even a very strange lumpy, bifurcated episode like this one. Yeah. It was all the versions of Tyrion that we like, both the, you know, the sort of the drunken, witty self-loathing, but also who he's become. The scene with Sansa was not satisfying, I think, in terms of the content, but the performance between those two actors was terrific. 
And it was one of those pairings that I, it surprised me how much I'm happy to see it again. The show for me is at its best when it's about the people around power. Yeah. And he's always been the best uh, avatar of that storyline. I thought that if you wanted to draw a theme out of it, I thought that uh, many of the characters, you know, they talked about destiny, especially in relationship to Danny and about this idea that, you know, if you walked into a fire with three stones and came out with three dragons, you would also believe in destiny. Mm -hmm. But I thought each of the characters actually, not, not quite destiny, but basically were like, I am who I am at the end of the day. You know, and so John was like, I know if I keep this secret or at least just say I am going to keep this a secret mm -hmm. for a while. Let's just see what happens with this Cersei fight. And then maybe later on down the line, I'll worry about it. He was never pragmatic. He was just always he's always going to be the guy who is like, I have to live honestly. I have to the, the ends. The means have to justify the ends mm -hmm. or the ends are only justified by the means because, you know, we have to live this truthful life because otherwise we're no better than the people we're fighting. And he does that, and he pretty much destroys his relationship with Danny in the process. Mm -hmm. Tyrion essentially is always going to be an arm's length from true power, but is seduced by the flame of it. And it's happened with his father, it's happened with his sister, it's happened with Danny, and now there's a flicker of it with John. But he is ultimately, like, I think he is like got a little bit of self destruction in him. I think a lot of these characters do. Well, I also think one of the interesting things about Tyrion, who does have, you know, you could you could diagnose him with a slightly addictive personality has gotten a taste of hope mm -hmm. and what it's done to him and the airs it has allowed him to put on, the um, responsibilities it's allowed him to shoulder. I mean, the things that make him a great character, it's a classic trope in characters, is that when you meet him, he hates himself, he hates the world, he's the most cynical person, but of course he's not cynical. It's Of course it's an act. Of course he wanted to be, not if not the prince who was promised, then you know at least Prince of Jace. Yeah and make the world better. If he didn't think the world could be better, he wouldn't be a compelling character. And so his arc from season one to where he is now is in many ways the most compelling and potentially the most heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so you liked it as a Tyrion episode? Uh, I like Arya. I mean, I, I like Arya, who doesn't? But Arya and the Hound, one of my favorite pairings on the show. The Hound in general, one of the best characters on the show. Not just with the one-liners mm -hmm. and the casual use of the T word at just about any opportunity. But that's a, a, a version of the show that I also truly enjoy. And seeing them, both of them have had very dramatic arcs of change. Mm -hmm. But seeing where they end up in a place that is both um, satisfying from a character level and emotionally satisfying for the audience is terrific. So I'm excited to be on that horse ride that will take either 10 minutes or three weeks, depending on yeah. what the plot requires. Is, is, I is imagine he shows up rather early in episode five. To, I don't think it's going to take him too long to get there. To deal with his brother? Yeah. What else did you like? Um, I enjoyed the performances a lot. You know, I mean, I think that that's a, an under, now an underrated part of the show because so much of the focus is on plot mechanics. I've really come to appreciate Maisie Williams' mm -hmm. performance as Arya. I think it's a much subtler change than what happened with Bran, obviously. I mean, it's a sl slightly less psychedelic. Mm -hmm. But her kind of resignation to a life outside of who she used to be, you know, and, and, a, and a, a purpose that she sees as far greater than any kind of, like, um, pleasure or, or well, like, like, knowing love, really, you know? like. Well, part of the show has always been the people who do the best are the ones who understand who they are and are honest about it. And her 
journey is one of the most compelling for that reason because she knew what she wasn't early on and became who she who she is, mm-hmm. right? And I think that the Sansa storyline, for example, she seems to have a very good sense of herself now, um, but the mechanics of how she got there and what she is now, mm-hmm. I think, is still a little bit. Um, it's a little bit foggy. I, I I I wanted to know your thoughts on the opening banquet in which Daenerys attempted uh, to host a very special episode of Oprah. And if you look under your seat, you get a lordship. You get a I thought lordship. she was going to start tossing those around. I mean, that was a flex against John to I think a little bit about mm-hmm. you know the sort of pliability of 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 legitimacy that's going on there. there. I thought that that scene was really cool. Like I really liked the the sort of the the dais that they were all sitting at and Sophie Turner. Just kind of like... <laughs> like in real life, just drinking some wine? <laughs> yeah, vaping. Is there... Are there any bastards left on the show who haven't been legitimized? I mean, that is really... That's really happened a lot. I, mean, I, I don't know. John honestly. got legitimized. Yeah. Ramsey. Yeah. Ramsey became Ramsey right. Bolton. Did you realize that the long-standing, many-child-siring quarterback of the San Diego... Philip Now Rivers. Los Angeles Chargers is himself a bastard from the Stormlands? Did you realize that? That never occurred to me. That so in that commercial where they're like Philip Rivers, like he's really owning his destiny. Yeah, he is. He doesn't need to be legitimized as a Baratheon, right? What would you like to see from next week's episode that would make you feel a little bit, or or would you say that you're genu- genuinely like at peace with how this is going? Um, what I appreciate is I still don't really know where it's going. You can't really ask for more in a story like this, the, the ability to be surprised. I really locked into the episode at the midway point last night. I, we, we, we have been more critical I this was completely, week than we have another week. There was never a point where I was taken out of it. It was only in retrospect, yes. looking back through it. There was a couple of moments of, especially when Rhaegal gets shot out of the sky, I was just kind of like, like why, why are we doing it this way? And I, I was especially upset or not pleased with the fact that they cut away from the Starks exchanging that incredibly important family-defining piece of information. I mean, the best you could say about that is it— That felt I, like I it was like guarantees, scandal or something. But, it, but that it guarantees there's another Stark scene to come. You know, oh, what one would, one would think. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, I but, assume so. I assume we are going to see them again, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we'll ever see Sam and Gilly again. I'm not sure that we'll see, you know, like that— Those felt like goodbyes. Yeah, it's hard to imagine how they figure into it unless, you know, we end the show like The Wire would end each season with like a stirring Steve Earle song and we yeah. do an Around the World montage. Yeah. And we see Torm. Ghost, ghost <laughs> listening to Marin <laughs> north of the wall. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm concerned. Like there are a lot of like, you know, red pill podcasts out there. Do you think Ghost is going to get like... <laughs> Radicalized, yeah. I worry about yeah. him up there. But at the end, like once, like my first reaction to the episode, which is maybe we should have started with instead of ending with was I am so much more hype for the show when the villains are not CGI. Yeah. When Cersei is the villain of the show, it makes more sense and it makes, it's more compelling and it's more exciting. And once things started to fracture, again, we've just spent, you know, 45 minutes plus arguing over the nature of the fractures. Yeah. But this is also pulled back all the way, the type of storytelling that they've committed to. And so they're going to have to do these micro-fractures or even larger, I guess, to get us to the the game board that they're interested in for this final whatever it's going to be. And I was surprised by the dragon death. I was uh, excited by the 
ocean conflict or whatever and 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 everything at the end because these are villains with faces and with personalities and people with history. And they're trying desperately to, to speed it up so that there are more villains than we realize that Daenerys might become a villain or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it feels unpredictable. It feels scary and chancy and compelling again. And for all the criticism the show allows, that's part of the experience. And as you said, there's two more of these left. And despite an hour of picking nits with you, I'm incredibly excited. Of course I am. We judge this show by a different standard. And I think that we are all experiencing this really unique cultural moment where I think a lot of people are probably processing both the fact that something that feels very, as part of like a collective piece of property. Like Mm -hmm. I think people feel like ownership over this show and also like a deep affection for the show and probably just don't straight up don't want it out of their lives and feel like maybe it's being ended too abruptly and that that's not their choice. You know what I mean? I don't know what season 12 of Game of Thrones when maybe people had lost a little bit of interest or actors had been like, I demand to leave the show so you're going to have to write, you know, John off again. I don't know what that how that would have played out, but I do think that this is sort of the the flip side of that, which is that we're kind of we're kind of rushing it a little bit. Weirdly enough, they didn't. You know, in many ways, this show bridges the gap from. We've talked many ways about how it bridges the gap from the way we were watching TV to mm-hmm. the way we will be watching TV, and one of the biggest ways is they didn't know when they were going to end it. So the pacing and the construction is always going to be inexact. You know, they they were building the show that they wanted to make that would be rewarding to the fans of the book and rewarding to people who watch HBO dramas and rewarding to a whole new generation that they that they were able to connect with. Um, but when they were making season three, I'm sure it came up. Sure. But there was no conversation about— They maybe it, thought the book was going to get done. It will be eight seasons. Right. Yeah, they didn't know. They simply didn't know. And one thing that I'm aware of behind the scenes is— this idea of we're going to sign your seven-year contract um, as an actor Mm -hmm. and it could get canceled after three episodes or it could get canceled after three years or it could run all seven years or even eight years and you negotiate a huge pay raise, those days seem to be over. The way television storytelling has changed, even if shows are not announced as finite, Mm -hmm. they are, all shows are finite. Sure. And they're being designed as such. You know, there's a a beloved show that, that is coming back for a new season that this new season is the last season and always was going to be the last season. And I'm, I'm sorry I'm being vague I, because I'm, I'm not supposed to talk about it. But like, and here I am. But I'm just saying that that decision-making has affected every aspect of it. Sure. Actors only want to sign up for X amount of time and they want to control it. And everything that so, makes Game of Thrones specifically special about the fact that they do shoot in Belfast and Croatia mm-hmm. is also why this is probably an enormously difficult commitment to make. Also, eight years. Yeah, it's not like we haven't had much of it. It's I'm just saying that it might if they had just done ten episodes each in seven and eight, it might have made the difference. But we were saying this at the end of the last season too. It got very narrow. There really were only two more things to do. You know, they couldn't introduce. It's two more things, but it's it's like it's all seventeen people that they've got to. And and yet, at Winterfell at the beginning of last night's episode, where we're sort of cutting around a yeah. party scene with our beloved friends who are finally all in the same room, and I was look I wasn't looking at my watch, but I was tapping my foot. Really. I, I enjoyed it, but I just didn't think that this was what the show does best. Mm-hmm. You know, so fair enough. 
the most important takeaway is the one that we struggle with in the nature of what we do here as podcasters. But do dire wolves listen to podcasts? This is the show. <laughs> this is the show. Yeah. This is it. Yeah, yeah. This is there is no alt version that we could pitch or alt right version that Ghost is listening to right now. <laughs> oh my God. Red pill ghost. Uh Greenwald, thanks so much for coming by. Uh no you sure. next week. Uh maybe I can call in. I will yeah. be away. Okay. But come on, it's the penultimate episode. Yes. Come on. Okay, so hopefully you'll call in. I'll have a co-host, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. 